Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Waffle Free Storytelling. Tina Constant here, and this is the second in the family story interview series where I talk to people who are passionate and excited about digging into our past, our personal past, our family's past, our ancestry. And in this episode, I have a glorious conversation with Natalie Pithers, who is a remarkable genealogist. Now, uh, during this conversation, we talked about what a professional genealogist can do that ancestry can't. This is really important. Um, also, her 90-year-old grandmother's response to an unexpected DNA result. We also covered why it's important to look at your neighbors and your surrounding environment while you build a story, because that could help you make sense of why people in your family do bad things. <laughs> uh, we also talked about how your daily routine can help you trigger ideas for how to research and write your own family story, why a census is important. Oh my goodness, we covered so much. So <laughs> put your feet up, get yourself a mug of something delicious and uh, enjoy this glorious conversation with Natalie Pithers. All right, we're going to jump right into our chat. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> ah, gosh, Natalie, I'm really, really glad that you can join me today because you were actually the first ever genealogist I've ever found. Hey! <laughs> you know, we were talking before, uh, before we came on saying that I actually didn't know um, gene genealogy wasn't an actual profession. And uh, you've had a rough day, so just get this off your chest. <laughs> Tell me about what. Uh, so, oh, so I emailed my email list today yeah. because I had to rant. I had to let off steam. Um, so I see, and I see this all the time. Um, so somebody on Facebook in a Facebook group was um, asking for some help and asking for some advice on um, getting some professional help and one of the comments that was replying was was basically you don't need a professional everything is on ancestry nowadays and you know these professionals they're just ripping you off really they're they're just you know that's basically what they were saying was, you, know, you can you can you can do it all online now so what do you need a professional for you know essentially they're getting money for old rope and um very calm right yeah and I do I, I do see this a lot it was it was a particularly venomous response but um I do see things along that line an awful lot and um I find it really frustrating because if you um try to trace your family tree just using one site doesn't matter what website it is um and don't bear in mind that things are on other sites but even more importantly that a lot of things are offline mm -hmm. including baptisms there are lots of baptisms still that aren't online mm -hmm. um, or only transcriptions of them are online and transcriptions have errors sometimes um you will make mistakes in your family tree and, and spend time barking up the wrong tree <laughs> basically so yeah <laughs> yes so yeah so I find that really really frustrating um and then the whole thing about professionals as well is you know a lot of my clients research that I do is online actually you know I am doing a lot of online research because my focus tends to be after 1800 and there is a much better coverage after 1800 online but I subscribe to um, three main genealogy subscription websites plus to, plus a host of other small things I have a network of other professionals that I tap up when I get stuck which you know we all do from time to time um, so there's a lot that's what you're paying for you're paying for not having to use your time to learn how to do all these things that um that we do and not everybody enjoys doing it either as well and that's the other thing you know people sort of seem to think like if you want your family history you should have to do it yourself and I think but you know I mean personally I love spending hours just trawling through records but not everybody does you know or has and, the time or has the time yeah yeah or knows so, how to interpret yeah. it. because like you say if you have similar names and yeah. you could be looking at somebody in one area of that name and then not find what you're looking for, but find the same name over there. You're you're off. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I've had I've made spreadsheets before with like five tabs and each tab has got 
you know, a Mary Davis on it. And then I'm trying to put all the evidence for each Mary on a tab and then cross-reference them all and try and work out whether they're the same people or not. And that, you know, some of that research, um, well, she's particularly challenging for that reason, um, can can take hours and hours and hours, you know, and it has to be really meticulous. And sometimes you can do all that and still not find the answer. Um, but you tend to have ruled things out along the way. So you're, you're, you're on the way. Because you know what you're different. looking for. You know how to interpret it. You yeah. Got the clues. Yeah. Which yeah. Joe blogs me wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just why we're here to help. <laughs> yeah. So we're not baddies. <laughs> you are in your title. You are a professional, incredible. I found you through your emails. Genealogist. Listen, people looking at the YouTube channel and the podcast, please go to genealogystories.co.uk. I'm going to put the link below. And, uh, and get onto Natalie's mailing list. It is the best mailing list on the planet. You have me laughing out loud sometimes. It's like, oh, you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, actually. So I really information. It's so content rich. Oh, thank you. I, I, I really enjoy writing the emails, actually. It's my, it's my daily task now. Yeah. Uh, now I've upped them to daily and I, it's the first thing that I do work-wise. It gets me into that work zone, family history zone, I suppose. But I also just enjoy, I enjoy writing and it's an excuse to write a little story. I, I try to always make my emails little stories. So. <laughs> now that is just, I'm glad it, it, it is a story, you know. And yeah. so tell me, let, let's just kick off with some of your wildest stories because you must have heard some doozies <laughs> <laughs> through your time. Uh, so what are some crazy wild stories that people have come to you with? Uh, oh, come to me with people. A, a lot of people come to me with missing people in their families. So um, men that have disappeared off or, um, you know, sort of done a runner <laughs> and left the family <laughs> so that was one of my one of my first clients was somebody whose grandfather had just um they knew that they had been married when they um had a had a relationship with their um mother, their nan um and um but they'd had a child together and and lived together and then but then he'd just one day up and left and, and didn't come back so that was around you know um finding out who he was and where he might have gone um but then similarly like um people will get in touch because they want to know about somebody's um war history because they're missing that part of their um not exactly their life but what made their family the way it is and, and quite often big events like war have a big of big impact upon um a family and therefore you kind of want to get to to know the ins and outs of that so that's that's kind of the kind of some of the reasons why people get in touch um but yeah and you also get people who come and get in touch and say well I've always heard that we're related to I know um who I had. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to think who I've had um oh the name of the actress has just gone completely out of my head but yeah you get people all the time who say I think we're you know we've always been told we're descended from royalty or we've always been told that our you know we're related to I had someone recently who thought that they were related to a group of famous hairdressers who were hairdressers for the stars in Hollywood in like the 1920s 30s um and and wanted to know whether that was true you know and so that's what we set out looking to to investigate so yeah so all sorts of mysteries really and, and then also people just saying I have no idea where I'm from you know now I guess these would be uh, people who are adopted or... yeah yeah I've not yeah I've had funny enough I've had second generation adoptees so I've had people who whose parents were adopted right and they they want to know about that and who their grandparents and great-grandparents were which is interesting but just also just people who um you know whose grandparents died when they were young and family stories sadly didn't pass down very much and so they're left wondering well where did we come from you know um I think who do you think you are has got quite a lot to the BBC program has got quite a lot to answer for <laughs> I think they handled that really really well it is, it's, yeah. It's a good show, yeah. It is. So let's say the hairdresser one. I just really stuck in my head. <laughs> so you got these people, they come to us like we're we're related to hairdresser. I mean, this is so random. Yeah, it's very random. <laughs> it's very <laughs> random, but how did that all unroll? How did that unroll? Um, well, it's still unrolling actually, and I there must be a connection because they're um, 
their family is from the Isle of Wight and this hairdresser family is from the Isle of Wight and it's um, a fairly unusual surname. Um, but there's a real oddity with the connection. There's some repeating names and I'm, we, we've just taken some DNA testing to try and get to the bottom of, of some of it. So it's, it's a, that's a bit of a complex one. <laughs> right. But yeah. <laughs> you know Michelle Leonard. I do. Michelle's brilliant. I just brilliant. spoke to her last time. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Michelle's amazing. She's crazy. So the, the DNA, do you guys work together at all or do you deal with the DNA in a different way? Because she's like DNA detective. Yeah. How do you handle DNA? No, Michelle is a total, total expert. She is the person to go through, go to if you, if you have a, a complex case or if you're adoptee, you know. Yeah. Um, so I bug Michelle basically. <laughs> <laughs> So I will message Michelle and say, can you have a second cousin that you share no DNA with, you know, and things like that. So, uh, you know, probably less so now I've kind of found my feet with it a bit more, but I I would... um, like I wouldn't offer DNA as a separate service myself because I, I've nowhere near got the skills that Michelle has, but I do use it in conjunction with paper records. So, um, you know, where you, where you need to know sort of the basics to intermediate, I suppose. And then I use that to, to help sometimes. Yeah. To help narrow things down. <laughs> and do you find that people who come to you with their, their DNA questions, um, are they, is it a different type of person who would first go down the DNA route compared to somebody who would just go down the building my family tree route? Um, no, not really. It tends to be a real mix. So you get people that have taken a DNA test for just out of pure fun, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, and they've never traced their family history at all. And then they take a DNA test and then they and then they see that they're getting these cousin matches and things and they don't understand it at all. And they think oh I need some help with this and actually they then discover family history and become interested in family history through that and then you get other people who have built a family tree and then done DNA as part of that and then either something has come up in their their results which has surprised them or they just you know have got a bit stuck so they come my way so yeah yeah so it's a bit of a mix really um because you never quite know what you're going to find when you do a DNA test yeah um so yeah you get a mix of people doing DNA but I, I always yeah it's funny because quite often I have clients who say do you think I should do a DNA test and I always say yes but only if you're comfortable with um yeah. what you might get as a result you know if you think there might be a skeleton in the closet you know make sure that you're you're happy to find that out yeah. before you go and do a DNA test and also be aware that you might think there are no skeletons in your closet yeah. and you might get a nasty shock so just kind of yeah I'm a big advocate for DNA but do it with your eyes open is is what I'd say have you had some nasty shocks from clients I haven't yet I've had people who um have had what they call non-parental events so when you when you're when a father is not the person that's on the paper trail I have had that but they've been aware that that might be the case so it's not been too much of a shock which is good but I mean I did my nan's DNA and was quite surprised to find out that her grandfather um, was not her grandfather. <laughs> I remember yeah, that. So, even. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Even. Tell me that story. So, what happened there? Yeah. So, well, uh, luckily my nan really didn't care. So, because <laughs> <laughs> so, I was really worried about telling her. I just, I did this DNA, you know, I did the DNA test, did my nan's DNA test. So, you know, for a bit of context, my nan is coming up for 90. So we're, so, so doing her DNA gets us back, you know, a fair yeah. way. Um, so my great grandmother was born in about 1903. So and that's obviously her mother. So, um, yeah. So when I did the DNA test, it just turned out that I, kept, I had all these matches to this surname, Cooley, and I've got no Cooley in my paper family tree. And these were, you know, quite high matches. Um and um, I started sort of looking and analysing the results and then kind of realised that actually, um, as well as this group of Cooley surname, I had no Penfolds, which is which is the, the surname of um, my great grandmother's father. Um, so with the two things together, I quite quickly realised that um, that he couldn't have been her father, which is interesting because he um, he disappeared from their lives. Um, 
when they were fairly young and my nan doesn't know whether he died or whether he just left and I haven't been able to track him down uh Penfold's not that unusual and they were in London um and there's some discrepancies in the records about his age as well which has made it a bit difficult to confirm whether he you know went away or died um hopefully 1921 census coming out next year might might help solve some of that mystery um but yeah so he 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 left them for one reason or another and um my great grandmother in 1911 is actually living in um a scattered home so a scattered cottage so these were sort of attached to workhouses mm-hmm. um so you know would have had quite a hard very poor childhood so it was quite interesting to then discover that her father was not her father and I've I've since matched with um, other uh, descendants from her siblings Mm -hmm. and they've come up as half half matches so it looks like they had a different father to her so I think I think it was probably just her Mm -hmm. Um, and then I found a newspaper article where um, her mum had taken to court some women in um, in the same road as, as she lived in for for swearing and shouting at her and um, and uh, you know sort of aggressive behaviour and this is around the time that she would have been pregnant with my nan uh, oh, with my so great nan so it's yeah yeah it does make you wonder and then what's really weird is some of their surnames. Um, cropped up in my DNA results as well but very very um low percentages so I can't quite work out how they're related but so these people that are you know giving abuse in the street to my pregnant great great grandmother also look like they might be connected to me genetically to a certain degree um so it's I have not fully unraveled yeah this is an ongoing unraveling mystery and and um the 1921 census should help with some of that (laughs) so I'm quite excited for it to come out next year (laughs) and I would imagine your grand at 90 is like hey listen yeah well but I think because she never knew her grandfather because she'd never met him it It didn't it didn't mean too much to her Um, and interestingly she always used to say oh my nan looked just like her sister um Louis but actually they were half sisters and I could never work out why she was saying that because on paper they're full sisters um and my nan doesn't know why she thinks that either. So there, it makes me wonder whether my great grand knew and then that's got forgotten or whether she she didn't know and just suspected or, or yeah, it's it's opened up as many questions <laughs> as it has answers, really. So, yeah, but things like that are not unusual at all to discover. You know, joy so. of it. I think that's it. I think that's that's an interesting thing you say, because I think if you're going to whether you're doing the DNA or a paper trail or whatever, you have to just step into this with a wide open mind. Yeah, yeah, you really do, because you really don't know what you're going to find. And normally you find a whole mix of things. I mean, I, I have in my tree um, goodies and baddies. Oh, the baddies. Um, so um, one of my ancestors was tried for manslaughter um, and got found not guilty, but probably mostly because the police bodged the investigation. Oh, so, so. he was probably it. Mm. Yeah, well, he uh, he was. Um, I try not to judge him too harshly because I think he was his he was very poor, and and, and, and that poverty kind of has such a massive impact all, all through my family tree. Um, I've always been a bit left wing, but it's probably made me even more left wing. Yeah, but um, yeah, he went into a pub and uh, deliberately started a fight, um, trying to get people to bet on it. So he was obviously trying to do it to earn a buck, so like an illegal boxing fight. Um, and they went outside and the fight started and he hit this man. This, this man hit his head and, and, and never woke up from it, you know, and died. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all went to court and uh, it looked like it was going to go against him. It looked like he was going to be found guilty. All of the um, witnesses were basically saying it was his fault. It was his punch that that, wow. that made the guy fall over. And then right at the end of the case, uh, the landlord of the pub comes out and says, Thomas who, who's my ancestor is a drunk and I have no time for him basically and uh, you know he's not a very nice person I don't like him at all but the man stumbled a few seconds after the punch and not as part of the punch and oh. then hit his head so although I don't like this man I can't in all consciousness 
um, you know, say that it was deliberate or say that it was that punch that killed him. Mm -hmm. So um, and then on top of that, the um, judge comments on on some of the um, poor witness statements taken by the police. So the case falls through. But then when I investigated it, it turned out that quite a lot of the people that were testifying in court were um, related to the victim or ended up marrying um so when my ancestor had the fight he had what, what's called a second so he he'd nominated somebody who if he got knocked out would come in and start punching on his behalf so you're second um and this person who was the second was also tried for manslaughter but had far less focus on him and it turns out a lot of the witnesses that were trying to blame my ancestor were either related to or ended up marrying <laughs> the person that was the second so they weren't exactly unbiased um yeah which took quite a lot of like uh, I think that's why it's so important when you're tracing your family history to look at your neighbors and look at other people and anytime you find a name try and investigate it a bit more because quite often you find all these connections that you just wouldn't you wouldn't know were there by just reading a name um yeah and then and then even more curiously like five or six years later his wife is fined for lying in court for committing a perjury and it doesn't say you know what case it was in or 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 anything Uh, it's really curious and I need to go to the archives to track down some more information on that the problem with doing everybody else's family history is you never get any time to do your own now (laughs) yeah yeah a bit this is yeah a so I, f- I feel like I have all these three quarter stories that aren't quite aren't quite finished but I, I kind of think family history is like that that you quite often end up with uh, yeah. lots of tales that kind of you could always find out a bit more about or hope to <laughs> now I, I love that because again I could just, just go off your emails honestly seriously I love them that much but um one you put out earlier was it this week last week I don't know where you're saying I know it was your one on writer's block. It was that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Where, but what what I what I liked about it is is that when and and what you kind of alluded to there is that when you're looking into into the history of your family, you're not just looking at the person and their name and who they were related to, but how they lived, where they lived, the things that would have impacted their lives, because war would have meant migration to another country or another county, which would have changed everything. Your mm-hmm. circumstance changes everything about who you are. So, yeah. so no, can you explore that a little bit about how to yeah. the surroundings of a, of a person's story? Yeah, so I mean, really, I think you really, really have to look at, at not just the time that they were living in, but the place and then look at those two things in conjunction with each other, really. So, you know, um, 1880s London is quite different from 1880s small village in rural Wales, you know, so is the two things kind of go hand in hand. But um i uh, i have i have a a, a method called fig which i which which i made up it just makes it easier to remember <laughs> my fig approach which is it which is basically looking um when you find something out about your ancestors is then looking wider to find things that they would have had um feelings about mm-hmm. were impacted by mm-hmm. or impacted themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. um and gossiped about so that's like my three criteria. So the the gossip thing was, you know, if you were in 1880 and you were in London, you would have been talking about the Whitechapel murders. You know, you mm-hmm. just would have been. Um, but yeah, so that's like a, a kind of big example. But then if you look in the newspapers, <clears throat> you might find small examples like um, the Rag Fair. Sorry, <clears throat> losing my voice. Like the um, like the Rag Fair coming to visit. Yeah. You know, something like that you would you would have talked about. We'd talk about that now, wouldn't we? If there was a big fair coming into town. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if your next door neighbour was, um, you know, um, caught stealing, you'd probably talk about that at the dinner table. You know, yeah. so so that's the kind of gossip factor. And then the, the things that impacted again, um, that could be. So one of the examples I use on the blog post about this is. Um, uh, one of my ancestors lived through a particularly cold, like a, a, a freakishly cold winter where it was incredibly heavy snow mm-hmm. in um, Brentford. And, um, Brentford. you know, that they, they, they were running out of coal and nobody could get to work. And so it would have impacted upon their lives. It only impacted upon them potentially um, 
for one winter un- unless somebody died during that period or became out of work but it, it would have impacted them um and then the last one is just it, it's just things that they would have had feelings about you know and I think that's that's again looking at those connections you know they might have lived 100 miles away from their brother but if their brother died that year chances are somebody would have informed them at some point and they would have had a feeling about it so mm. yeah so those are the kind of things that I look at to to try and um put a bit more context around around their lives and I think by looking for those three things you then start you know investigating the the time that they lived in and the the other method I have is is where I say basically I can't open the fridge without thinking about history so literally everything you do when you put on your shoes and you could spend a day doing this you know and it would give you hundreds of ideas of things to investigate so I get up in the morning and I brush my teeth how did my ancestors brush my teeth how did that change over time what were they putting on their toothbrushes or you know all their sticks (laughs) um you know (laughs) when they went to the toilet what was that like you know and how did that differ and um change over time and then you know I put on my shoes I go for the school run and I go to the doctors all those things our ancestors either would have done or wouldn't have done but you know you can then start investigating that and writing about it and eking it into your family history so I I kind of feel like our ancestors are a gateway to um actually you know as pretty close to time travel as you can get really (laughs) and it does and it gives a much more richer rounded story even if a lot of it is uh guesswork yeah I think people I know a lot of people are really put off by you know they say I, I really want to write my family history but I end up getting kind of hung up on the facts and then I have gaps um and I don't have anything you know they don't have what they call ego documents so they don't have diaries they don't have anything that their ancestor would have written and left behind um explaining their thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. um and that is a challenge but I think you can make educated guesses and I think I think that's absolutely acceptable to do as long as you say that's what you're doing. So, you know, I might describe how an ancestor was feeling, um, but I'll use perhaps I'll use the word perhaps at the beginning or um, I imagine they might have felt like this. And then I will I will tend to try and weave in why I think that as well. So, um, you know, sometimes that's really obvious, you know, somebody would would be highly likely to feel grief if they lost a child that's some of that's really obvious and sometimes it's a little bit more complex and you have to um weave in some of that context really um but I think as long as you're open about that's that's what you're doing um and then all the kind of facts and sources you can have alongside it or in a separate document it doesn't it doesn't have to be one or the other you know it can be both no, I think that's that's a really important thing because yeah. people ask ask a lot the, the question of like I've just got so much story how do I fit it into two covers, and quite honestly that is that is what our multimedia world is for, is to yeah. have a story in a book and the rest on a website Google Drive whatever there's so many ways to then reference the backup uh, information and documentation and recording. Yeah. And I think a lot of people um, really want to write a book. And I think that's um, that's a really lovely aspiration. But I also think it's not the only way to do it. I think, you know, it could be that you are just um, telling your stories orally to your family, but you thought them through and you thought about what you're going to share. It could be that you're, um, you know, going to blog about it or share short snippets on Twitter or, you know, there's there's hundreds of ways of sharing it. But I, I think it is important to share them, though. Um, you're, you're right. In fact, the next person I'm speaking to is my brother. <laughs> He's a filmmaker. But oh, wow. Yeah. He, he also, though, he has a branch of his business that, that, he, that he calls Forget, forget, me, doc, forget me Docs. Forget, oh, he's going to shoot me. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically very beautiful documentaries, little documentaries of, of, of a person's story. And he encourages, he says, listen, you don't need it. You don't need somebody, you don't need my crew to come in and film this. Pick up your phone and film someone telling the story because then you get their mannerisms, you get their movements, their laughter, the sound of their voice, them telling the story firsthand is magical. And yeah. so that alongside the photographs, alongside a book, if you want it, a lot, it just makes for such a package deal. No, it does. I, I think I, Personally, I think um, 
stories are how we connect to other people and it's how we connect to the world. I mean, we've been telling stories since the dawn of time, haven't we? There is something innate in human nature about stories, you know, and when we when we experience something, we don't tell somebody it in facts and figures. We don't say, you know, um, my husband died this week and statistically so many people die of a heart attack in their such and such years. You know, we do, that's not how we connect to that story or, you know, not the vast majority of us anyway. Um no, you get the so, emotion yeah. first and that, oh my gosh, you won't believe what just happened. Yeah. It's equivalent to once upon a time, really. When you think yes, about yeah, it. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talking family stories, it's like once upon a time, my grand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That story grows. <sighs> yeah. And it's such a clever way of showing your opinions and your values and your yeah. interpretation of things without lecturing people. You yeah. know, it kind of gets, yeah, yeah. if you, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. Now, hang on. I see I am. Another email of yours has popped into my head. You <laughs> talked in this, in, in this, I don't, again, I don't remember when it came in about mental health, disability, and, and how that is actually very difficult to find out about as you're exploring your ancestors. Again, what, what, what got you yeah. to write that, that email? Um, well, I was interviewing a disability historian, so that's that's um, partly what prompted it. But I, so in my um, series where I interview different historians, I've I wanted to be, and I, you know, still have work to do on this. I'm not 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 by by no means perfect, but I would like it to be as inclusive as possible because I really do believe that history is for everybody, mm-hmm. um, and everyone should have the right to access their their history and um i was particularly struck by this when i i was interviewing um a project that work on the diaries of Anne lister who um who is quite famous for not just for her diaries but for the relationship she had with other women um and um one of the ladies that i was interviewing said you know i was reading this as a lesbian woman a hundred years later and i felt like you know, this was just incredible. I had this history that I never even knew existed. And she was quite, I could really see the emotion in what she was saying. And I thought, yeah, because it would be awful to not have any history, to not be able to connect to the past, to look back in the past and to think there was nobody like me. That would be so lonely, you know, so I want to be as inclusive as possible. But not only that, when we go out in the world today, we meet people who are differently able to us or disabled. We meet people with different sexualities, different genders. Sometimes we're more comfortable with some things than we are other things, you know, and some of us have work to do on our prejudices and stereotypes and some of us are better than others. But however we, wherever we are in that range of things, we come across those things every single day. And I, you know, our ancestors in a way wouldn't have been any different and how that looked at about their attitude towards different things and um how comfortable they were may have changed over time but they still would have encountered all these things you know in one way or another um so yeah so that's why i think it's important yeah it's it's interesting just the as you as you were speaking in the news it was on the news just yesterday actually where they're talking about the history of football all right okay yes i'm not no normally it doesn't enter my head i'm not a particular fan you know but it was on the news and it was on um the treatment of racism through history and football oh interesting where, yeah where they where they were saying in the 1970s i can't remember the name of the guy talking on the bulletin was saying he would never have taken his daughters to a game um where england was playing in the 1970s it wouldn't enter his in never he just wouldn't do it in fact he was surprised he went because there was such violence and so much racism it was such an aggressive atmosphere and he says but <clears throat> now you look at the progression through history through changing attitudes where now there are people saying now there's too much attention on on anti-racism and it's like that's a good thing though right <laughs> yeah I, I i think i did read something on the um bbc news app yeah about some people booing people taking the knee and one of yeah. their arguments was you know football shouldn't be political or um about <laughs> thing. and I just kind of thought are you trying to kid just by the fact that you're in front of millions of people you have a responsibility um you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah but there again is another chain in history when we understand our ancestors attitudes and beliefs around sport around politics around religion mm and how that changes their attitudes and their behaviors. And then us, because we, through our family lines, are educated. Yeah, yeah. It changes yeah. how we are and how we think. Yeah, definitely. Of course it does. And yeah, and I, 
I think the other thing that people um, sometimes forget is that lives in the past were just as complicated as lives are today. You know, there's very few people in life, I think, that you could say are inherently good and inherently bad. And the, 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 you know, bad people do good things and good people do bad things sometimes. And life is grey in that way, isn't it? There's no, or, or like a rainbow if you prefer. <laughs> Yeah, let's go. It's a little bit happier than a red grey, isn't it? Life is grey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, nice save. <laughs> uh, oh, it is. It is. It might have been. Uh, it's. <laughs> no, I think it's a comment I often make to my husband when we're looking at something historical. It's like I could not have been a woman in the 1600s. Oh my gosh, you're yeah. right. Yeah. 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 The other, other things that's really strange as well is when you think about the past. I know I do this, um, and my kids do it. I've tested it on them. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the past, do you imagine it in your head in black and white? No. See, a lot of it I do, and really? I have to remember. I have to remind myself. That's... So we were, we, Mum and I were out for a walk the other day, and we were talking about. Um, Oh, we were, I think we were talking about my gran actually and World War II and the impact and things. And I was thinking, saying to her, it's really hard to imagine that people would have walked down the same country line, country lane that we were walking down in like 1942. And it could have been a brilliantly sunny day, just like it is now. Because when you picture it in your head, it's either in black and white because you're thinking of black and white photos or because the time was depressing and great. It's, yeah. it's in that kind of monochrome color. <clears throat> now that is so interesting. But actually, you know, people would have walked down a country lane, enjoyed the sunshine in 1942, just like they are now in the middle of a pandemic, you know. So, yeah, um, it's much more complicated than that black and white view that we get from a photograph or from history books or, you know, not good history books. I mean, like kind of (laughs) simplified school history books, maybe, you know. Yeah. No, I have to say one of my favorite mental loops is standing in a spot like even here where I'm standing now and gone 200 years ago what was happening here and you go through that imaginative swirl it is it is this weird kind of thing where suddenly the house disappears and this and this and then was there a battleground here did somebody die right here where I was standing what happened here and your imagination can really let fly yeah yeah and there are so many um like sliding door moments aren't there as well with that you know if I'd have stood a fraction to the left during this event would would that have changed things or you know and we, we were talking about how um mum and I were talking about how life throws these surprises at you or sometimes in life you make decisions and then you don't realize until much later in life that you've that that it was a decision that you made um and that that had consequences good and bad you know so sometimes you're oblivious to your own sliding door moments until years and years later but I mean and how your yeah. decisions can impact the next generation yeah 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 really really can yeah and I I, that's one of the things I find absolutely fascinating about history was you know if these two people hadn't met and had a had a baby then I wouldn't be me would I I'd be would I be here would I be here at all and if I was here would I be somebody different and yeah that makes me want to find out who everybody that ever lived was (laughs) exactly I know yeah. So, so actually, tell me how you got into this. You are you're clearly completely wrapped in history and genealogy and family story. So, what, what kicked you off? Uh, well, my great grandmother. So it's in, it's in my genes. It's like in my blood, I think. Um, so um, my great grand died when I was, and I, I've I've talked about her a lot and written about her a lot. My great grand died when I was eleven, um, and had uh, was a really big character and was quite a matriarch in my mum's side of the family. Um, and actually, I think although my memories of her have probably faded, they've, I've adopted other people seeing that it's just such a big part of my family that even though my memories have faded, they don't feel like they have because I'm remembering other people's stories as well, um, which just, you know, goes to the power of storytelling, really, that's literally kept somebody alive that died when I was 11, really. Um, but yeah, she used to, so she was illegitimate. She was born in the workhouse in Chepstow in um, 1909 and um, she used to make up these wild stories like uh, she used to say her father was a one-legged Jewish peddler who knocked on the door one day, which is completely not true. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, and she used to say, you know, stories like, oh, so-and-so um, 
died whilst um, falling off the runner board of a car um, whilst escorting a lady to water. And it was always those little tiny extra details, you know, it wouldn't be he just died of this, it would be whilst this was going on. Um, and I think quite a lot of them were based in truth, but with like fanciful little frilly bits added on. Um, and she could like to tell a tall tale. Um, but she she also she lost her husband, um, her first husband during World War Two, and she never stopped talking about him. Um, you know, even in her 80s, uh, we did a pilgrimage. My, my family, not me, I was a child, but my family did a pilgrimage to Tunisia where he was buried. Um, and my great grand was in her 80s. Then it was I think it was quite a courageous thing to do, really. Wow. Um, and um, I've we've recently discovered an old um film that somebody took whilst they were out in Tunisia so somebody had a home home camera and was filming bits of it and I could see my gran and see that grief on her face and it yeah even now and she you know she died when I was 11 and I'm well into my 30s nearly 40 now and it still made me cry watching her upset because I just she really really loved him and that love never never went um so yeah so that had a big impact and then my um my mum had tried tracing our family tree um, back in the days before anything was online and done a little bit and then got stuck and kind of had kids and, and didn't really have time for it. But she had this blue folder that she used to get out periodically and show me the birth and the marriage and death certificates and tell me who who sort of just that one more generation on from, from who I'd met, who some of their tales, who they were. Um, and then... Uh, when I was about 18 I think the 1901 census came out online mm -hmm. and I was at university so obviously wasn't too busy yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and used to um, geekiest university student ever used to spend half the time on the phone to my mum <laughs> tracing my family history so I feel like it's always been with me really I feel like I've I might not have officially started until I was 18 but it was always there um, so yeah yeah, so that's how we got started, really. Now, you've mentioned the census a couple of times, 1901 and then the 1921 mm. Tell me, what can, how can people use this? How do you use it to get to get more information? Oh, sorry. So, um, so tracing your family history is a bit like a puzzle. And you know how on pieces of puzzle you have... Um, one bit of puzzle's got a bit of red on it and then you try and match it with another piece of puzzle that's got a bit of red on it and those two go together well records are kind of similar so when you order somebody's um birth certificate it'll have their parents names on it mm -hmm. and when you order a marriage certificate it has somebody's father's name on it so you would try and match those bits of information to the father's name match are they getting married in a similar place to where they were born or the father's occupations are the same um <clears throat> And the census kind of fit into that as well, because they list um, where people were living in their family groups. Um, different census have different amounts of information on them. But as a rule, they, they generally have, you know, an address, roughly how old somebody was um, and uh, at least which county they or at least whether they were born in the county in which they are um, currently filling out the census in so so it kind of I'm, I'm I'm stumbling a little bit because it kind of changes what you have in you have a census every 10 years uh -huh. and the ones that genealogists tend to use um, and the ones that are online most readily are 1841 up to um, 1911 mm -hmm. um, and the information on the 1911 one is uh, there's quite a lot more information on that than there is the 1841 census just because it's it's evolved um and then the 1921 census is due out next year because it's been 100 years and it, it can be released. So, so yeah, but I, I think one of the other good things about the census is it not only shows your family, but it shows who was living around them as well. So you start to be able to get those other names and that other context. And um, right. yeah, so for instance, like we are filling in the census that goes around yes. next year. OK, and so this would be uh data protection yeah years and it's that yeah. that gets released oh yes so juicy I yes no that was a thing yeah yeah so that's yes. that's what you're using um yeah, which is why why family historians and genealogists campaign a lot when they talk about not doing the census or I think it was on this one that they didn't ask where it was on this one where they didn't ask exactly where you were born. Um okay. and um 
we were all a bit like, oh, in a hundred years time, that's going to make it so difficult for people to trace us because they won't know where we were born. They'll only know where we were living. And I mean, I don't live where I was born. But steady um, on. In a hundred years, they'll be able to take a little piece of your brain cell and just hear your voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> They'll have, the Facebook, they'll have the great Facebook archives of 2000. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the census. You're completely right. It's like, nah, we don't believe what people are saying. We, just say no, we can see exactly what they ate on a Tuesday because they took a photo and put it on Facebook until they got fed up with it and stopped posting on it. <laughs> they all got so right. bored of each other's mundanity. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, face that, but we know exactly how they felt that day. I know. Can you imagine if in a hundred years' time all you had to go on was something like Instagram? Oh, shocking. Like, you'd be like, oh, wow, these people were living their best lives. I know. <laughs> I don't. Look at this cappuccino every awful. day, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope the aliens only look at that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we're lost. <laughs> Set for annihilation. That's so cool. Oh, man. Hang on, hang on. Back on track. <laughs> what tell, because you must have had so many insights into just the human experience, if anything. But what are the things that come to mind when you think the things that made you go, wow, as you've been going through this journey of yours? Oh, oh gosh, that's so hard. Um, I think one of the things that's made me go like, whoa is how differently people can interpret the same event. Wow. So, um, so, and again, I feel like I'm waffling on because this is something I've talked about on my blog before, but... Um, oh, bring it so on. I have a... All of these links to the blog. <laughs> I feel like I want to just put your whole blog on I it. feel like I tell this story all the time, but it is like... Tell it again. It's really important to me. Um, so um, one of my ancestors was um, 16 and um unmarried and fell pregnant and the the father of her baby was um this is like in 1840s and the father of her baby was her employer she was a maid um and her employer was a reverend married reverend um and he was also the son of a baron so he was obviously of a completely different economic class from her now some people have heard this story and thought it was quite romantic mm. um and that there must have been a romance there which might, you know, I don't have any evidence to say it wasn't other than I think when I put it into the context of the time and the place, I don't find it romantic. I mean, no. he was, um, you know, like coming up for 50 and she was 16 and and, oh, and she yeah. was employed by him. So um, I take a totally different view on it. But I can't say categorically that I'm right because I don't have her voice and I but I can just say what I think, you know, and the evidence of why I think that, you know, which is obviously mm. based on um the time and the place and the context and all that kind of thing. And and that, so that always really surprises me. I mean that's that's one where it's we've got a different point of view. But you know, somebody can look at a record and say <clears throat> Oh, somebody might look at a record and say, oh, you've not noticed that there's a five year gap between these siblings being born. Mm. And I wouldn't. And, and maybe I didn't notice that when I looked at it. And then you think, well, why is there a five year gap? Did they have any other children? What happened to those children? Yeah. Did they have did they have trouble conceiving? You know, it's, especially in Victorian era, when you have like larger families, it's mm. quite, un, you know, it's not unusual to have a gap, but it, it, it might suggest something was going on like for example stillbirth or miscarriage which aren't recorded in any records or not easily accessible there are some records for some some of that stuff <laughs> but um depending on when but um yeah um so I guess that's what I find the most surprising is how how many how people's different perspectives on the same thing can can bring either quite radical um radically different different conclusions or people can see things that you you haven't seen which is yeah. um which is quite wonderful i think yeah um, yeah and it does i guess it gets because like that that story that situation that that you described for me as well i listen to that and it's like no that sounds like prison term for somebody yeah Sounded yeah like, that's how i view it yeah, yeah. but yeah i'm a woman i don't know i, I don't know it's yeah <laughs> Our yeah, own well, our own society, our own upbringings, our own histories and views. Yeah, and um, this the 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 Baron, um, you know, has a very interesting. You know, he's obviously is my ancestor, yeah. and he has quite an interesting family tree. Um, 
there is a suggestion that it goes back to Richard III and the Plantagenet. So it is a really interesting family tree. And because quite a lot of the family tree had money, there are there are you know more paper trails um, in places. Um, but I've never really looked at it because I just don't connect to it. I just don't, uh, I don't feel a connection to that side of the family. But, you know, some of my other more distant cousins that I've met through DNA analysis love that side of the family and love exploring it, which is, you know, which is perfectly acceptable. And I like it, you know, and I enjoy them telling me about it because it is my answer. But I just have... uh, yeah, I just have never gone and really looked very closely at that side because for some reason I don't feel this massive connection. Whereas my um, my ancestors, my dad's side of the family that were these really poor Londoners, I absolutely love and I spent ages and ages like they, they get totally favouritised. Yeah. Um, it feels real and it feels the relationships were real and it wasn't children yeah I think that's violence situations and I think so I think it's a whole bunch of things with the London lot because I think um one there's a lot of London records readily available so I probably know more about them which helps um and secondly London is such a vibrant place now and when I visit it I can I can really imagine what it was being like in the past And and you look at how many period dramas where they you know Ripper Street and um where they pop into London it it is very easy to imagine it in your head and I think that probably probably helps actually so um I think there's something about where they are that I just find as fascinating as them themselves you know so yeah (laughs) no that's it you're absolutely right especially and that is one of the amazing things that Europe has managed where many other countries in the world perhaps don't where the architecture and the infrastructure might have changed but it's still there and you yeah, can quite yeah. readily imagine even the buried city in Edinburgh, which so many stories are about. Yeah. You, know, you can go down and see a bit of it. And you can yeah. exactly you but, don't have to imagine what it was like because it actually yeah. that much. Yeah. And even places that have been um, torn down or modernized, etc., there's normally quite often at least a church, yeah. an old church. And, and, you know, there is something there, there's something so special about going into a church and putting your hands on a font and knowing that your ancestor was baptized in that same water you know that same font. there's something so tangible about tangible about it it's almost like oh, I don't know like um they're just beyond the veil aren't they it's just like it's almost it's see free in those moments yeah and they were yeah. right here right here. yeah I know, like, I think that when you see somebody's signature as well, when you find a, an ancestor's signature on a, on a wedding document or even a big cross that they've drawn, you know, because they couldn't, couldn't write their own name. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost like you're holding their hand. It's as close as you can possibly get to reaching out over time and, and yeah, shaking hands, which, um, yeah, I spend a lot of my time daydreaming about what it would be like to time travel and where I would go and who I would go with. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, five minutes in Natalie's head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find a lot, I find myself imagining what the past would be like and imagining the future a lot and not very good at the now. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right that's what that's what the rest of the family's for just please sort that out for me <laughs> that's so good so now if somebody was going to work with somebody if somebody wants to work with you what do they do how do they find you how do they get involved with the curiosity the curious descendants club tell me everything because you have got Uh, an incredible amount of stuff on your website (laughs) okay well i'd say the really the 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 first protocol is my website because literally everything's on there so there's a link to everything on there so if you go on my website which is www.genealogystories.co.uk you can navigate to so if you want to learn how to do it yourself Mm-hmm. You can nav- navigate to the Learning Centre, where I've got loads of different blog articles about lots of different um, aspects of family history. Mm-hmm. And I also offer a um, one-to-one tuition service. So, um, and I, obviously I do research done for you, which is in this work with me section. Mm-hmm. But there's loads on the Learning Centre to get people started. And if they sign up to my email list, they'll get daily, optional daily tips. You can opt out of the daily email. So if, if it's a bit much for you. <laughs> <laughs> they are good they are good i love doing them <laughs> no, i try to make them helpful morning coffee email <laughs> yeah and then from the website you can also access twice removed which is my um history interview show so it's where i interview um historians from all 
all types of different history mm-hmm. um normally with a you know with a slight family history slant mm-hmm. um they're all on there to either watch or listen to and then there's my new club which is brand brand new mm-hmm. called the curious descendants club which is all about writing up your family history but not um at the sacrifice of your research so you can research and write at the same time um and there's uh, there's a link to that on there as well in the header um and uh and like yeah. you said, it doesn't have to be a big, complicated book. It's just how to get it in a way that you can share it. It's basically sharing yeah. your family story, whether it's videos or a blog or a book or anything. Like yeah, that. yeah. And the, the club is very much a club rather than a course. So um, it's going to have um, lots of, you know, live and, and interactive and and um, very practical workshops. I like to come out of talks and things with something practical to either go away and do or, yeah. or actually have done within it. Um and uh but there's also um you know sort of co-working events that run over zoom um and the community so it's it's quite community focused so yeah (laughs) and I set little challenges every Friday to my group to try and write so little 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 mini writing challenges that should only take yeah so that's a lot of fun a little bit at a time if you try and take say right I'm going to write my whole family story you will just drown yourself and end up not doing anything yeah and a lot of people have never written anything either so they haven't flexed that muscle yet so um so I do little little mini writing challenges so for example last week I asked everybody to um to either write some bullet points um that they could then make into paragraphs later or to just you know be brave and write a paragraph and everybody wrote a paragraph which was amazing um and basically they had to pick an emotion and um write about that emotion but without telling me what that emotion was so without saying the the word so you know and I gave them some yeah so a show not tell exercise and I I gave them some tips like you know you could you could find a photograph of somebody who looked angry and describe what that looked like if you were really struggling um but actually everyone managed to write about their family um you know they everyone managed to find something within their own family tree to to write and share so yeah so that's the sort of thing that you'll find in the curious descendants club oh fantastic Brilliant. Well, all of those links, all of that information is in the show notes to this one uh, on YouTube and the podcast. So you'll get it all. And um, this is now part of the Waffle Free Storytelling uh, Show. And please come back later. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. You'll like as as we go. To be honest, what happens is every time I read your email, it's like, oh, we need a conversation about that. So after a few months of reading your emails, I'm going to keep a whole list of questions and I'm going to get you back on the show again so we can talk about that. <laughs> Sounds fabulous. Oh, no, really you. up for that. <laughs> and I would love to see you in the Curious Descendants Club. Um, oh, that's some it. of your advice. Oh, I'm in. Yes, yes. Great. No, it is. I, I, think, I think the reason why I got so interested is, of course, Waffle Free Storytelling is, is, is fables and, and, and it's a storytelling in, in the fantasy and fiction world. But the reason why I find fables, fairy tales and all of this type of story so powerful is they're not just stories. They're interpretations of the world and our understanding of the world around us. There is no... Even from Brothers Grimm to Walt Disney, Cinderella to Jack and the Beanstalk, there are are metaphors for how we live and how we solve problems. Absolutely. With life as we know it. Goodness me, religious texts are full of the same thing. You know, it's interpretations of how the world is. And when we think of our story of our our ancestors and, and the people who came before us that we never had the opportunity to meet, we're doing the same thing. We're, yeah. we're, we're seeing what might have been, what could have been with what we know and we're putting it into a story that we can relate to. Oh, yeah. And I, th- I think most people do their family history because they want to know why their family is the way it is. Yes. You know, why was my grand grumpy? Why was so-and-so always so jolly? Why was, you know, why was, um, why did my parents have such a strict upbringing, which then made them real hippies with me or, you know, this, all those kind of things, because you can see the impacts um, on each generation, you know. Which then, of course, um, leads to you, yourself. Which, yeah, which leads to you and your decisions and the way that you do things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you you know there's a hundred people walking behind you before you became the person that you are today I think I know I know no I, I we are digging into ours very gently very slowly <laughs> and uh, and we have come across an affair 
it's like, Ugh! and in fact, I was speaking to, um, uh, when I was speaking to Michelle about this, the affair happened in France. And she said, there's actually a law. I didn't know this. This was amazing to find out that you cannot do a D you cannot legally do a DNA test in France. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. What yeah. was it to keep the peace of the family or something like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause I think they've recently changed like an aspect of that law. Okay. Oh, Michelle would be able to tell you, but yeah, I only recently learned that as well. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Which explains, and, and it's not just France either. I think a lot of Europe have that rule. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, um, yeah, which is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. do you get any testing here, please? <laughs> Yes. So good. <laughs> oh, we can <laughs> on forever. Thank you so much, so much for joining me. This has been so oh, thank good. Thank you for having me. So uh, we will definitely have you on the show again and uh, with more stories from the past. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, everybody, that's it from Waffle Free Storytelling today. Uh, as always, new fables every Saturday. We are definitely going to get uh, Natalie back on again. We're definitely going to get Michelle back on. The next family-related show is going to be um, Adrian uh, Constant, my brother, where we're going to talk about how to film your family stories so that you have that incredible archive. So we'll see you next time. <laughs> Keep wonderful, hug the people you love, and have a glorious week. Bye-bye now. <laughs>